Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Welcome to All About Data, a conversation with chief data officers and the people who are making data work better in government. On today's episode, we're going to hear from Oliver Wise. He's the chief data officer at the Commerce Department. Oliver, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you, Joy. And Oliver, just to get started here, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, your role at Commerce, and just what's top of mind for you when it comes to all things data? I've been at the Commerce Department in my position for a little over a year and a half now. Just a brief rundown of my career. I I cut my teeth at the city of New Orleans. I stood up the data analytics program there in the post-Katrina years under Mayor Mitch Landrieu. There were some also some very talented people there at the time, including Denise Ross, which probably a lot of your listeners know. She was the chief data scientist and now the U.S. deputy CTO. So I was there, stood up the analytics program at City of New Orleans, and then left public service for a little bit to join Socrata, which is an open data startup at the time. And then it was acquired about, I don't know, six months or a year into me being there by Tyler Technologies, which is a, a larger publicly traded company that's big in the state and local tech market. And then, you know, I, I think me, like a lot of people, felt the itch to go back and contribute their talents to the greater good during the COVID era. And so I saw the opportunity to apply for this gig and I applied and I'm just absolutely thrilled to be at the Department of Commerce. And if you're interested in data and applying data to solve really big societal problems, the Department of Commerce is about as exciting a place to be. We have unequaled data equities between the environmental data we have at NOAA, the social and demographic and economic data we have at Census and NBA, scientific data at NIST, and then through the work of the CHIPS office or NTIA, which is administering the broadband program or EDA, we are uh, front and center in addressing some of the country's most critical priorities, including competition with China, advancing our technologies to accelerate the economy of tomorrow, and addressing the climate crisis, among many others. When I think of agencies that are large and federated in nature, commerce is pretty high up on that list. To think back to the Evidence Act and just kind of the foundational elements set out there for CDAO such as yourself, you know, I think a big component of that is just making data a strategic asset. From your perspective of where you sit on things, how do you see uh, commerce making good on that overall focus, that overall goal of making data a strategic asset? I'll answer that question twofold. On the first part, you know, the Department of Commerce and its forebears, which is the Census Bureau, which date back to the earliest part of this country, you know, where the census is enshrined in the Constitution, we've added our mission to use the best available technology to disseminate data to advance our democracy and advance prosperity, right? I mean, it's really core to what this organization is. And so for several hundred years, that meant, or, or first couple hundred years, that meant collecting data and putting those records in public archives and libraries. And indeed, I I had the privilege of visiting NOAA's archives in Asheville, North Carolina, where you have a big warehouse of just these fascinating paper records 
of early meteorologists, maybe it was a physician in South Dakota who was recording the weather, or the real-time writing down of what the weather conditions were when Mount St. Helens erupted. So we go all the way back to then, right? And then I think we're now on this hockey stick curve of technology innovation. And we're thinking long and hard at the Department of Commerce of how we use those technologies to further our data democratization goals. Or to put it another way, we know that the public expectations are going to change due to the mass adoption of emergent technologies like generative AI and large language models. And I think we have an obligation, a public obligation, we wouldn't be fulfilling our end of the social contract if we didn't do this, to ensure that we are publishing our data in ways so that users of these technologies can reliably use them to derive insights about the world around them from our data. So uh, that is a major priority of ours. And we have a new working group or two meetings in chaired by Sally Ann Keller, who's the chief scientist at the Census Bureau. And the working group is made up of AI and data management experts from across our department here, the various bureaus of our department. And they're looking into how do we publish our data in ways that are not just machine readable. That's the standard of the Evidence Act, the, the open government title that's Title II of the Evidence Act. So not just machine readable, but also machine understandable so that AI models and the crawlers that serve as their data harvesters can find our data, recognize it as authoritative, and understand what the fields in those data mean, and so that they can be linked to other data about like entities. In terms of our internal posture of towards data, we are about to commence a departmental data strategy that's rooted in a few, I'll say three core assumptions, right? Key three points you need to make. One is we're in a competitive posture, that we're in a competition with China principally, where I don't want to speak in overly militant terms, but the fields, the domains of that competition are not just military and diplomatic, but principally economic, and will come down to technological innovation. And whoever innovates the other will dominate in the 21st century and beyond. And I think Secretary Ramona made it very clear that that's a competition that America needs to win in order to promote democracy in the digital era in which we find it ourselves in. So you better believe it that our competitors are leveraging data. And then in the case of China, without the constraints of civil liberties to advance their mission objectives of their country and the and the ruling party there, the CCP. And we have to, as a country, leverage data as a strategic asset as well, of course, wholly consistent with and in a way that advances democratic norms and civil liberties and protection of privacy and equity. We need to do that like the the point of using data is not just because it feels good or it's like the right thing to do is because we're in a race <laughs> that will define how our children and our grandchildren live and how our country standing in the world. So one, we're in a competitive posture. Two, when it comes to the Department of Commerce, in terms of its 
on a silo by silo basis, you know, when you look across our, our 13 bureaus, we have some of the most data mature organizations in the world. And uh, every American should be incredibly proud of the amazing work happening at places like NOAA, Census, and beyond, BA, really uh, in all of our bureaus. It's really just remarkable work that is going to advance, that is and will continue to advance the interests of our country. But when it comes to the connective tissue of those data silos, we're really quite weak. And it's very hard for our practitioners working in bureaus to work collaboratively towards some shared purpose. And so what we're going to do in our data strategy is very deliberately look not just in the boxes in the org chart, but at the white space in the org chart. And we're going to do deep dives into five cross Bureau or whole of department topics where it's really critical for us to have sufficient capacity to meet our business objectives. So those five areas are American competitiveness and emerging technologies. So at Commerce, that means uniting and aligning our equities at ITA that does amazing work in supply chain analytics, our CHIPS program, which is doing nothing short than altering the geopolitical calculus of emerging technologies that's doing advanced R&D and, and, and others. The second area is place-based community development. So that's making sure that we have the ability to align and coordinate and make smart decisions about how we invest domestically in America to build vibrant, equitable, thriving metropolitan regions and also rural areas. That means being able to have sufficient geospatial capacity in order to bring all that data and see it all together in one place in a map. The third area is climate resilience. So at, we're probably the, the country's leading uh, holder of climate data at NOAA. We also have unparalleled demographic and economic data at Census. But we need to work to make those data more interoperable so that we can understand not just make good climate projections, but understand how the climate meets what it means in terms of uh, community resiliency. Fourth is AI readiness. So we know we're not ready for AI until our data is. And then in order to have accountable, safe, responsible AI, we need to have a very good handle on our data the data has to be well-documented and rich with the proper metadata that is just descriptors on what that data is so that we can use AI effectively and responsibly. And the fifth is on HR analytics. And, you know, we are a people-based organization. If we're going to be competitive in the future, we've got to be able to answer questions like what are our human capital needs over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And we need to have a much more coordinated approach to understanding our existing talent and our needs over time and what the likely supply of labor will be. All right. There's a lot going on in that data strategy. Roughly speaking, when do we expect that data strategy to be released? Not until next fall. So we're going to take the whole of this fiscal year. That's where our, our deadline is for that. You mentioned that this is an organization that is rather data mature. This is an organization that has a lot of data experts just among its ranks here. But when it comes to 
reskilling, upskilling, and hiring the kind of people who have the skills necessary to advance AI and all of its forms or, you know, the other kind of emerging tech that you guys are following. What's kind of the focus there? What's kind of the priority to make sure that you guys have the skills and the expertise necessary to kind of meet those future challenges, recognizing that you guys are probably ahead of the curve compared to most agencies? Yeah. And when I say ahead of the curve, we're a, we're a very heterogeneous organization when it comes to our data maturity. So we're very proud of some pockets of just really unparalleled excellence. But there's a whole lot of areas <laughs> at Commerce where we have a whole lot of room to grow, right? But in terms of our talent needs, Across the economy, the labor market is tight. Across the economy, data and AI talent, that market is incredibly tight. And then you compound that with the salaries and such that you get in government. It's it's very hard to compete with that talent. But I, I came from the private sector. The company I work for and all of its competitors also had big challenges in terms of attracting and retaining data talent. So this is actually, I, I don't think, unique to government. Yeah, and we had a working group that looked into what our data skills needs were that was already in place when I came in. And the observation they made, and I think it's spot on, is that, you know, there's no one size fits all solution for this. It's not like there's a standard curriculum that every federal employee should take. Like data skills itself is just a, a very, very diverse field. And to be honest, it's rapidly changing and rapidly evolving. So if you got a degree just three or four years ago, you have to update that continually to keep up with what's going on in the space, what's going on in the industry. So to me, what data skill development looks like is it's a conversation that that every manager has to have with, with her or his own staff. And it's not something that's like, oh, we need a flyby and we'll get trained everyone up in like three months and then, you know, go off and do something else. It's like professional development and data skills has to be a continuous process. And we should just anticipate that, yeah, you might be an expert now, but there's still a whole lot more to know. And if you have to stay fresh to keep up with your data chaps. Changing gears here a little bit, in terms of the nuts and bolts of how commerce stores its data and makes its data actionable, I imagine we've come a long way since the days of Noah in that library in Asheville, North Carolina that you mentioned, you know, in terms of physically storing records, but the volume again, of data that you guys store must be astronomical. In terms of like that cloud strategy, moving to the cloud, migrating more stuff to the cloud, what are you following there and what's kind of over the horizon? Yeah, we have a very cloud first strategy. And I should say my colleague, Andre Mendez, who is our commerce CIO and his technical statement of direction, which is his term for a technology strategy, makes it abundantly clear that this is a cloud first organization. And I think we are making tremendous strides in that process. Yeah, there are those paper archives in the basement in Asheville, North Carolina, but that's the old stuff from 100 years ago. The current stuff is we're generating petabytes of data per day, and that will only increase. And all of that data is in the cloud. And so that's at NOAA. At Census, and I should say every bureau really manages their own data stack, right? So Census also has a 
major years long effort. It's a top priority, top strategic priority of the organization to move all their data to a data lake that's hosted by AWS. And while they're doing that, also, they're really totally reorientating the structure of their data. So it's less about having data from a series of parallel surveys, but really resolving all their data to common entities like firms or people or places. And that's called the frames project is their term of art. A frame is a particular entity the data is resolved at. So there's tremendous excitement around the department. And uh, I think there's actually quite little resistance to moving to the cloud. I think that was well in place before COVID, but certainly after COVID, that, that's, that ship has very much sailed. Yeah, and on the flip side of things, you know, the security of the data, I know commerce takes that very seriously. Yeah. And, you know, I've been to uh, the Census Bureau headquarters myself before. It's, uh, it's a very, uh-huh. uh, they take security very, very seriously with their data uh, yeah. as well. In terms of, you know, I, I recognize it's kind of the, the two halves of the same coin for all things CDO focused is, you know, on the one hand, you guys are making sure that openness and sharing of data is ensured, but also making sure that, you know, the data goes to who it's intended to go to and that it doesn't go into the wrong hands. How do mm-hmm. you manage that recognizing, you know, you can't go uh, into too much detail in the security side of things, but at a high level, what are you guys focused on? Security and privacy, I think, (laughs) go hand in hand. And the reason why the census has the legitimacy and the credibility to do what it does, which is collect just an enormous amount of data from our American citizens and businesses, is that it has the trust of the American public that that confidential data about one's business or about one's person will not be compromised or will not be misused. So that security of especially the very sensitive PII, personal identifiable information that's in those census data is paramount to the organization and just uh, table stakes (laughs) really to talk about doing anything with data. So we are very privacy first. Uh, We take the American citizens data the security of those data is sacred to us, and I and I don't use those words lightly. Now, I'm working with my colleagues in the CISO's office. Ryan Higgins is the department's CISO to advance the components of the zero trust architecture that is laid out in the president's executive order on cybersecurity. And part of that is the data pillar. This whole component of the zero trust architecture paradigm around data protection. And we're working very closely together to identify the right tools that we need to have the visibility we need on all of our data assets so that we can monitor them and secure any data that has sensitive information to the utmost. We were talking previously about data sharing in the context of like across the enterprise, across commerce and all of its component agencies. But also, you know, I I realize that there's a lot of data sharing that goes on outside of the department that, you know, there are a lot of stakeholders who rely on this data in the private sector, in just the public at large. There are a lot of people who rely on that data. And I remember the last time we spoke, Oliver, you were talking about some, some pilot work, some data mesh efforts to kind of automate mm-hmm. the sharing of that data. Could you just shed a little bit more light on where things stand on that and what the overall goals of that pilot effort are? 
Yeah, sure. First of all, just uh, you know, address some of the points in your question there. If it's public data, the, the, our means of sharing is is public data dissemination, and it's our APIs and a lot of work uh, <laughs> that we're doing. That AI work is about modernizing our APIs for the AI era. So there's that. Then there's the data that isn't public data that has some sensitivity to it, and for that. We need to uh, know what those data are and what those restrictions are. And the current paradigm for sharing data in government, the current or the, the paradigm of, of yesterday, was when you share data, you share that is a bilateral exchange between two parties that have some bespoke agreement to share those data. And I think what organizations, both public and private, are realizing, and now technology is doing a much better job of enabling, is that we should identify what data we have, and then those data that are appropriate to be shared with certain parties, we should identify those data, identify those roles in those trusted organizations that they can be shared with, and then allow for view rights to those data. And therefore, you don't have to actually be migrating data from one data store to another data store, and then you lose control of your data in doing that. It's like instead of sending email attachments with a letter attached to it or some document or, or, or what have you, it's like if you have a document that you want to share with certain parties, you just create a link. And you can do that now in Google Docs or in you know, Office 365. And that's the shift they're making of really embracing the power of the cloud to enable sharing and collaboration. And there are now technologies, uh, many vendors uh, provide these technologies now, but we just did a substantial BPA with Snowflake, which has a cloud agnostic solution for role-based permissioning of view rights to data. You know, it's basically like Google Docs sharing for data. And we're doing that so that, you know, like if EDA is sharing its data with the secretary's office on the status of its programs or something like that, that's an onerous thing to do right now to extract all that data and then send it. And traditionally, that's just done by email and like a monthly data call, which is incredibly costly and introduces a whole lot of friction in the organization. It'd be much more efficient if we enable more modern ways of permissioning view rights to those data. So not only the secretary's office can get it, but the White House can get it and partners in Congress can get it. And those privileged parties that uh, EDA deems, you know, is trustworthy can have access to that data. And then you just set up that routine and you don't have to constantly manage it and you don't have to worry about sending that email at the 30th of the month or whatever it is. That was Oliver Wise, the Chief Data Officer at the Commerce Department. You can find more data coverage as well as more episodes of All About Data on federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Jory Heckman, and thanks for listening to this episode of All About Data. Thanks for listening to All About Data on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app. Search for All About Data on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. 